would, join with me and turn to Genesis chapter 45. We've been talking about Joseph for many weeks. And now we're uh, going to be looking at his dad a little bit here today. And the title of my message is, It Is Enough. It's Enough. Boy, I remember in July the 28th, 1974, when God convicted me. I remember uh, experiencing that conviction before, but I always kind of shrugged it off. I said, I'm good enough. If God lets anybody go to heaven, he'll surely let me. I don't smoke and chew and run with those that do and all that kind of thing. You know, I pride because I was doing what we talked about in Sunday school, comparing myself with others. And I thought, I'm, I'm better than a lot of those guys I go to school with. And, uh, but it wasn't until that night I finally saw myself for who I was, a sinner headed for hell. And I cried out to the Lord Jesus to save me. And I can say along with Jacob, oh, I said, it's enough. I didn't, make, I didn't say those words, but it was enough. I can say it now. I see all that God has done for me. I'm still experiencing the blessing. I'd have, I, I wouldn't want it any other way. God has been, is, and always will be a good God. And he uh, definitely gives us enough here. Joseph, uh, we find, is in Egypt, and uh, the, his brothers have now repented. They've confessed. They're under, uh, they've come back home. And we'll start reading there in verse or chapter 45, verse 25. And they went up out of Egypt and came into the land of Canaan, and Jacob, their father, and told him, saying, Joseph is yet alive. and He is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart fainted, for he believed them not. I wonder why he wouldn't have a hard time believing his own son. Well, we know, don't we? And uh, they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said unto them. And when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. And Israel said, it is, not, or it is enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I will go and see him before I die. And Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices unto the God of his father Isaac. And God spake unto Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here am I. And he said, I am God, the God of thy father. Fear not to go down into Egypt, for I will there make of thee a great nation. I will go down with thee into Egypt, and I will also surely bring thee up again. And Joseph shall put the, his hand upon thine eyes. And Jacob rose up uh, from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried Jacob their father and their little ones and their wives in the, new, or in the wagons which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. And they took their cattle and their goods which they had gotten in the land of Canaan and came into Egypt. Jacob and all his seed with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters, and all his seed brought he with him into Egypt. Father, as we look into this passage today, I know it's your desire that we understand and that we obey. And so I pray that you'd help us to be focused today, to understand what your word is saying. Help me as a preacher to preach with power, with clarity. But I pray every, for every listener that they too would be filled with thy spirit so they could not only hear, understand, but apply these truths. Whether if they're lost here today, may they see their need and trust you. If they're 
uh, there are some other needs in their life as a Christian. May they also see what they need to do and be obedient. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Joseph was the 11th son of Jacob's 12 sons. He was also the favorite. Of course, Benjamin being born after he left, but uh, his 10 brothers were jealous of Joseph's relationship. We talked about envy during the Sunday school hour. Boy, it led these guys, that jealousy, that envy, led them to do some pretty foolish things. And we won't get into all that, but they, uh, they grew to hate uh, Joseph. In so much, some of them wanted to kill Joseph, but they ended up selling him into slavery. And he goes down to Egypt, and, and eventually, things were going pretty good at the beginning. But eventually, Potiphar's wife, being a wicked, adulterous woman, she tries to seduce Joseph. Joseph wanted nothing to do with that. And so um, we know the story. He leaves her, but she he says he attempted to rape her. And as I've said before, I, I'm sure everyone in the, in, in the uh, home there, all the servants, when they heard that, they said, oh, sure, Joseph, no way. Uh, they didn't, because Joseph had a reputation. But nonetheless, uh, Potiphar had to do something. He throws him in prison. But in prison, God blesses him. And he becomes a leader even while in prison. He uh, uh, tells the uh, interpretation of uh, dreams that a couple of the servants of the king or Pharaoh had. And uh, make a long story short, Pharaoh brought him from the prison and made him prime minister of Egypt. And so it's a, an amazing story. Uh, God is blessing him every step of the way. God is developing him into the man, into the leader that he would be. And the good thing about Joseph was, even when all these bad things were happening, he didn't forsake God. He said, there's a reason, there's a purpose. He trusted God through it all. And so in the, that new position, Joseph did have great power and wealth. He had, in fact, he was only number two under Pharaoh. And he was used of, of God to save the nation. And um, uh, in fact, the, the, the most known world at that time. They came from all over to find food during that famine. And, yes, there came his brothers. Of course, when his brothers arrived in Egypt, they were ridden with guilt. Been 20-some years, and they were still guilty in their hearts. They knew what they did was wrong. Their lives were a mess. And, uh, but Joseph, he, he knew right away who they were. Of course, I remind you, Joseph now was in the Egyptian garb. He, his head was shaved. His face was shaved. And he was 20 years later. So they didn't know, and they didn't even know that Joseph spoke Hebrew. And so they're saying things. Joseph's goal was to bring them to the point where they would confess their sins, where they would repent, where they would walk with God. And we see that take place through these series of events. And uh, they did admit that they had done him wrong years earlier. Um, Eventually, Joseph reveals his identity to his brothers. We talked about that last week. What an amazing story uh, of forgiveness and acceptance. Uh, definitely pictures Jesus Christ. But in the passage here before us, Joseph now has sent his brothers back home to Canaan. They have reconciled with one another. Uh, instead of getting judgment, what they thought they would get and deserved, Joseph embraced them and forgave them and now sends them back with all kinds of riches and wagon loads and, and donkeys and all kinds of things. And so we see him here. Uh, they, they, they have all been invited, not just his brothers, but his father. He wants them to go back, get his, their father, and bring everybody back to Egypt. 
so he can take care of them. And, and he can not only, not only would he physically provide for them, but he also would protect them. What better protection would you have than the man second only under Pharaoh? And so we see uh, Jacob finding out his son Joseph is alive. We see him leave his home in Canaan. He goes down to Egypt and uh, meets his beloved son once again. And now as we watch Jacob moving down to Egypt, we're allowed to see how God can bring victory from pain, from sorrow, and uh, uh, notice the, the, the facts of the story. Um, watch how God takes this hopeless situation and transforms it into a, that's more than enough. <laughs> you know, that's what he did for me. I was hopeless because I was without God. And now I can look back and say, boy, that's more than enough. Jesus has done more than enough. And so can you if you know the Lord today. And so we'll look at this here this morning. Um, I want you to see that Jacob was loaded with worries. Jacob, I guess a nickname I may give him as I look through his life is he was a worry wart. Now, my mother was a worry wart. No question about it. She admitted that. But she would worry when she didn't have something to worry about. She, I don't blame her because, now listen, you know, having six boys, two girls, and we put her through a lot. Uh, so I don't blame her being a worry wart uh, after all of that. But the life of Jacob was a life of struggles, was a life of heartbreak. He grew up in a home where there was a lot of turmoil. His brother Esau, he had a lot of problems with him. He had, a, had to leave home after he helped his mother deceive his father, and he stole his brother's birthright. So Jacob was right there as a young man, a deceiver, he was, uh, there was turmoil in the home. He spent the next 20 plus years working for his, his uncle Laban. He and his uncle worked hard to deceive one another, to trick one another. And on the way home fr from his uncle's, uh, his beloved wife Rachel dies. Later, his uh, favorite son Joseph goes missing. Uh, he's presumed dead. And so that's kind of a, a thumbnail, a sketch there of the life of, of Jacob. Uh, his life was, he was taught to worry. He was taught to have doubts. And it, uh, it sets the stage here for this old man that has become uh, what he has become in his life, what, what he was and what he has now become. So first of all, Jacob's disposition. How did he become the man he was? And from an early age, he had been, as I mentioned a second ago, he had been taught, he had been uh, trained to expect the worst. You know, he's one of those guys that it didn't matter what happened, if it was a some real blessing happened, he said, eh, it ain't going to last. <laughs> There's trouble down the road. Man, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hail, we're going to lose the crops. You know, it's, it, he's one of those guys. He, and, uh, and Jacob, he has been trained to be a doubter, to be a worrier. And he was just negative. And notice, what were the events that made him that way? What was it that brought Jacob to this point? Number one, his mother. She contributed to this. She led Jacob to believe that his father loved Esau more than, um, than Jacob, more than himself. And in Genesis 27, you can read about that. She also convinced Jacob that Esau hated him, that Esau wanted to kill him. And 
And so that therefore he should leave home, also chapter 27, verses 41 on. But his uncle, he also contributed to this thinking of Jacob. His uncle, he, de he deceived Jacob, giving Leah for a wife instead of Rachel. And Genesis 29, he deceived Jacob when he made, his, uh, made him work all those years uh, for his wives, his flocks and all this in Genesis 30. Laban even threatened to kill Jacob. Uh, this, boy, it's just a lot of problems in that family, wasn't there? And these things were all developing Jacob to be this man of doubt, this man of, of um, just uh, to expect the worst in life. His wives contributed to this. Um, Leah accused Jacob of not loving her in Genesis 29. Rachel blames Jacob for her failure to conceive a child in Genesis 31. And so, again, just building on all of this um, negativism and this uh, expecting the worst, his uh, sons definitely contributed to this. They, uh, they came to him carrying the coat of Joseph. You remember, they cut it up and put blood on it, the blood of a goat, and uh, pretended that it was his blood. And so they, uh, uh, when Jacob saw the coat, he, he doubts, a lot of doubts came arose to his mind and his heart, and he assumed that Joseph must be dead. Then the events of life, all the things that happened in Jacob's life. He was forced to leave his home, deceived by his uncle, lived with four wives and 12 children. His sons, except uh, Benjamin and, and Joseph, they were some wicked, evil men. And his own home was filled with uh, rank immorality and, and sin. His wife died. His brother hated him. His sons deceived him. I mean, this, the events of life definitely contributed to him thinking always the worst. His favorite son was stripped from him. Jacob had been trained by the events of his life, uh, by the, the influence of those around him to be a doubter, to be a warrior. Maybe you can relate with that. Maybe that's kind of how you see things. Maybe you do uh, are more pessimistic than optimistic. Maybe you do see the worst in everything. But a lot of those things that contributed to it brought you to that point. And, but Jacob here, I'm sure that Jacob thinks uh, when his sons go to Egypt, well, I'll never see them again alive. It's, they're gone now. He's just so depressed, so negative, and always expecting the worst. And, and some of you, again, you have had similar training, if you would, in your life. And you've been taught to expect the worst. Maybe it was a parent that didn't love you. Maybe it was an adult in your life that somehow abused you and destroyed your confidence and trust. Maybe you still hear the voices in your head and saying things like, well, you're worthless. I wish you had never been born. What a loser you are. You can't do anything right you'll turn out just like your mother, or the father may, or father may say, and the mother will say, you'll turn out just like your father. And maybe you've ex experienced things that have scarred your heart and mind. And maybe you, there you find yourself like Jacob, just discouraged and, and thinking the worst of everything that happens in life. And that's why we must 
as the Bible encourages to protect our minds and you know, from the attacks of the flesh and the enemy. In fact, I do need to read these verses. I read them a, a week or two ago, but let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Once again, this is talking about the battle that is raging all around us today. It's real. It's not pretend. It's not something that it's just all in our mind. It's, the battle is taking place there, though. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, or excuse me, chapter 10, and verse 3. 2 Corinthians, well, I'm going to take 10 here. Sorry about that. All right, chapter 10, look with me at verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringeth into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and having in a, and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when uh, your obedience is fulfilled. And so here we find that that battle that's raging in our minds, the devil's trying to convince us, and this is where Jacob finds himself defeated. He thinks everything's, the worst is going to happen. Oh, they take Benjamin now. Oh, they'll never bring him back. It's over. It's done. Uh, we're all going to starve. This famine is not going to quit. Everything was, he, he had nothing positive. That's his flesh talking. You and I are not above that. In fact, you may from time to time find yourself in that situation where you're thinking it, it, it's, if something bad is going to happen, it's going to happen to me. Um, what do they call that? Brother Art Murphy's Law. And so, um, but, you know, we, we think towards that way when we, we get our eyes off of the Lord. And maybe you experience things that's happened in your life, mistakes that you've made, uh, sin in your life that's just scarred your heart and mind. And, and so I want to encourage you here today, through the life of Jacob, we need to remind ourselves that in Jesus Christ, Everything is different. I mean, look, I, I won't have you turn there this morning for the sake of time, but in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 7, it tells us there, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So God does not want us to live in the fear of all the negative things that could happen. If it could happen, it's going to happen to me. No, God doesn't want us to live there. God wants you to keep your eyes upon him, and that spirit of fear is not from God. Your past and your problems, they, they uh, should not be allowed to shape your pers the person you are today. You may have done some pretty bad things. You may have some pretty ugly skeletons hiding in your closet from years ago. But let me tell you, if you take that to God, he will forgive. And he will make, he's not going to hold that over your head. He's not going to say, well, I can't use you. you. Don't let that shape your life today. You made mistakes. You've sinned. Confess them to God. Get right and go on. Let God give you the victory. In fact, he can help you walk in victory. That's his desire, to be victorious Christians for his glory. Listen to these verses, Romans 8, 37. Nay, in all of these things, Paul says, we are more than what? Conquerors. Are you that? Are you a conqueror today? Are you living your life like a conqueror? 
We are more than conquerors through him, through Jesus Christ that loved us. 1 Corinthians 15, 57, there, uh, but thanks be to God, Paul says, which giveth us the victory. But listen, this is the important part, through our Lord Jesus Christ. The victory is not found in me. The victory is not found in this earth. It's found in Jesus Christ. Well, I want you to see Jacob's doubts here. His sons return with good news. They tell their dad that Joseph's alive. He's doing well down in Egypt. And when Jacob hears this, his heart actually skips a beat. His heart faints, as the Bible says here. And he, uh, he can't believe what he's hearing. He refuses to believe that this could be so, that this could be true, that his son, Joseph, alive, 20, 25 years, he, he just couldn't believe it. Jacob had, had held so tightly to the belief that his son, Joseph, was dead uh, for so many years, he, he couldn't grasp the truth that he might be alive. And the good news that he heard was simply, it's too good to be true. You know, it's, it's, that's, uh, um, again, we often have said that, I'm sure most of us here, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is too good to be true. But with Jesus, think about what we have. That phrase is not true. If it sounds, it is all too good to be true in our thinking, because what Jesus has done for us, he saved our soul, he's, he's preparing a home for us in heaven, he's forgiven us of our sins, he, he uh, has forgotten our sins, uh, he's given us eternal life, he's given us peace and joy and happiness, all these things. Why? Uh, what we have in Jesus Christ, we are definitely victorious, or should be, and, um, and it's, it sounds too good to be true, but the truth is, it is true. It is true. So the good news he heard was to him was just, he couldn't believe it. And that's the problem with doubt. It has the power to extinguish the flames of faith in our hearts. Doubt, that's a powerful weapon. The devil will use that uh, against us. Listen, friend, if you're here today and you doubt your salvation, for instance, you're not sure that if you died right now, you'd go to heaven. You're not 100% sure. Let me tell you, the devil will use that doubt to, to keep you down. I'm not saying maybe you're not saved, but I, you could very well be saved, and you're just doubting. You'll never succeed in the eyes of God. You'll never be what God wants you to be with doubt. Doubt, think about how it, it, doubt manifests itself in a, a several places in the Bible. Doubt looked in the face of the life, the truth, looked in the face of Jesus and doubted his power to accomplish a resurrection in John chapter 11. The disciples, they doubted this. Could this really happen? We've never seen anything like this. Doubt told Jairus that it was too late for his daughter. His daughter was dead. No need to bother Jesus in Mark chapter 5. Doubt told the creator that it was the wrong time and the wrong place to fish. They've tried all night. They're not going to catch anything. Doubt told the Lord God that there was too many people and not enough food. There's, how are we going to feed these thousands of people? There was doubt. Doubt told the prophet Elisha that there was nothing in the, in the house but a, a small pot of oil. We're all just going to, we're waiting on, just waiting to die. Right? There's nothing here. Doubt. Doubt was wrong in every case. 
when you apply Jesus Christ to whatever situation you're in, doubt can be erased. Doubt is always wrong. When doubts come your way, remind them of just who your God is. He's the all-powerful, almighty God who created everything we see. He's the God who's, who separated the Red Sea. He's the God who healed the, the blind, caused them to see, the lame to walk, the deaf to hear. He's that God. Remind your doubts of who your God is. And, and he is the God of matchless, limitless power. Matthew 28, 18, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. All power. There is no one more powerful than Jesus Christ. We look at the uh, things that mankind has, well, I was going to say created, but really didn't create. They discovered the, the bombs and such that do such amazing destruction. Power. We see those jets fly overhead. Boy, that's power. But that's nothing compared to the power of Jesus Christ. He speaks the word, and it's done. He is in control of everything. So doubt, it, uh, it does erase our faith in our hearts. And we must, like Ephesians chapter uh, 3, verse 20, now unto him that is able to do exceedingly ab abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Oh, there's nothing that God cannot do. He saved your soul. He, he, he took a person, many here today, who were headed for hell, saved your soul, and now your destination is heaven. That's sealed. That's definite. Praise God. If he can do that, he can do anything. If he can speak all of creation into existence, we serve a God who is able. Don't forget that. If you're here today and you're without Jesus Christ and you don't have that kind of faith, you don't have that kind of hope, let me encourage you. You can because Jesus, he is able. You can trust him to save your soul. Our God is able to take the is not. Let me take you back chapter 37. Look with me just real quickly here. Chapter 37 of Genesis and verse 30. And he returned unto his brethren and said, The child is not, and I, whither shall I go? Talking about Joseph. Joseph is not. He's dead. It's over. He is not. He took that is not of that chapter there and changed it into is. Look with me at Genesis 45 again. We just read this earlier, verse 26. And he told him, saying, Joseph is yet alive. He's not dead. He is governor over all the land of Egypt. And so God has the ability to take those things that we think it's, it's impossible and make it possible. All while Jacob thought Joseph was not, Joseph was alive and well down in Egypt. Jacob was at home crying, he is not, he's not, Joseph is not. And he was so discouraged. And God in heaven was looking at the same time, the same set of facts, and he was saying, he is, he is, he is. It was all in God's plan. So never forget, God can see what you and I can't see. And, and uh, he's what uh, we need to trust him. He is the one we need to put our faith in. And here's what you need to remember the next time you face that is not uh, situation in your life where you're thinking this is not possible. 
this uh, is not going to happen the way I want it to happen. This cannot do, be, work out in my favor. Remember this, Psalm 37. In fact, I think it's good for you to turn there. We won't worry about the time. I say that in this way, that if wherever I'm at, we'll just cut her off right there. Uh, but I'll watch the time. You just listen to the word. In Psalm 37, verse 3 through 5, verses 3 through 5. Psalm 37, the Bible says, trust in the Lord. Now, Christian, listen, that's not just talking, that's not talking to the unbeliever. You and I, Christian, we need to trust God continually day by day. If you're not saved, obviously, the only thing that you can do, the thing that you must do if you want to get to heaven is trust in the Lord. But he goes on, Psalm 37, verse 3, Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Folks, there's nothing God cannot do. Uh, uh, he is all-powerful. He is uh, able, and we need to trust him. So here's a man loaded with doubts in his life. He was a doubter. He was a worrier. But God is transforming him. We'll see that here in a second. Then I, I want you to see this loaded with promises. These wagons came loaded with promises. Uh, verses 26 through verse 28. So the sons of Jacob have returned from Egypt. And they've returned with some incredible news, unbelievable as it was. Uh, Jacob, he, he, as he hears this story, as he hears the uh, truth about Joseph, he's having a hard time comprehending here. But it's his sons, they brought something with them, some concrete evidence that what they were saying is absolutely true. Uh, so they have a, a bunch of wagons there in verse 19. They have 10 donkeys carrying the best of the land of Egypt there in verse 23. Um, so I, I want you to just see this again, this meeting between Jacob's sons and himself. First of all, the wagons came with some problems. They told him all the words of Joseph. Let that sink in for a moment. All the words of Joseph. For over 25 years, somewhere in that vicinity, these men have allowed their father to believe that his favorite son was killed by a wild animal. For 25 years, they have deceived their father. They've lied to him. And they deprived him of having that companionship with his son, Joseph. Now, they stand before him and everything comes out the good, the bad, and the ugly. Everything comes out. And they, uh, they, they tell him about Joseph. They tell him about, yes, they have lied to him, their deception. And um, they tell about uh, Joseph and the glory that he has down there in Egypt, the power he has. Uh, verse 13, Jacob learns that the son he thought was dead, it, it, it was, was gone, is really the governor of the land of Egypt a powerful man, one of the most powerful men in the world at that time. Now, he might have been angry, right? Finding out these boys of mine have lied to me for 20-some years and have deceived me about something that was so dear to me. And so he, he uh, might have had some anger there and, and he, uh, you know, how they lied to him and such and uh, 
how they allowed him to suffer the grief and the pain all those years. On the other hand, hope is beginning to take root in the heart of Jacob. And he's be, maybe he's thinking, what if they're telling the truth? What, what if Joseph really is alive? Is it possible? Can you imagine as that hope begins to build? The wagons come also with proof. As Jacob, he listens to their tale, he still, he, he really wanted to believe it, but he just couldn't. It's impossible. How could he believe anything these boys tell him now? They've been lying to him for 20-some years. And as these doubts, they course through his mind, maybe one of his sons said, hey, Dad, let me show you. Go to the, go look out there what we have brought, what Joseph has sent. And so you can see that old man get up and he walks to the door of his tent and he looks out there and sees all those wagons. Obvious. These wagons weren't from uh, Canaan. These wagons had Egyptian markings on them. These wagons were royal wagons. And all those donkeys, those aren't our donkeys. And what is on those wagons? What is on those donkeys? Right away, he's, his heart changes. He believes. It's just an amazing story. He said, Father, if you can't take our word, then look outside and see what we brought back from Joseph. And the old man, he sees this and all the, the treasures that he, they brought, and he sees the wagons, and the, he believes. And as it says there in the Bible, he says, it's enough. It's enough. I believe. And Jacob sees this for the first time in over 20-some years. Maybe a smile begins to come on the face of that old man who's been so depressed so heartbroken, heart of sorrow all these years. And for the first time, tears begin to run down his face, tears of joy. And for the first time, maybe he begins to laugh out loud with joy in his heart. It's enough. And he says, I will go and see him before I die. He believed. Jacob saw the wagons and he was satisfied. Now, the wagons came with purpose with a purpose. Verse 19 tells us that the wagons were sent to carry Jacob and his family uh, to their new home there in Egypt. Joseph is a constant picture of Jesus Christ. He's a type of Jesus. We see Jesus in, in the way that Joseph forgave his brothers. We see Jesus in his role as the savior of life there, uh, providing food for the world. We see Jesus in his suffering, in his righteousness, and we see the face of Jesus in this account as well. Just as surely as Joseph sent wagons to bring his dad and all the family safely back to Egypt, Jesus has sent a wagon load of promises to us through his word to encourage us, to help us get through to our destination, our place of safety, our haven of rest, our home in glory. And I want to show you, let me share just a few of those heavenly wagons that you, you have. I want you to see them. As Jacob saw the wagons, said, it's enough. I want you to see what God has given you and say, it's enough. His spirit, in John chapter 16 and John chapter 14, he said he's going to leave a comforter, and he did. We have the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God indwells us, fills us. It guides us every day. His presence. Matthew 28, I'm with you always, he says. Hebrews chapter 13, 5, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He has promised to walk every step of the journey with us through the bad times, the good times, through it all. He's there. His word, 
Oh, man, we could park there all day, couldn't we? The Word of God, Psalm 119, 105, uh, that Word that we should hide in our hearts that gives us the ability to have victory over sin, that, uh, that Word that is true, that is pure, that is perfect. Uh, and God has given us a perfectly inspired, preserved, inerrant, infallible uh, or record of Himself. It's without error. It, it, it feeds the saint. It convicts the sinner. It converts the soul, and it guides the steps of the of believers. And so, praise the Lord for His Word. And then His, his salvation. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, it's not of yourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's by faith are you saved. Uh, his salvation. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever, don't you love that word? Whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And uh, so we could, we could read so many other scriptures, but His salvation, it washes away every sin. The blood of Jesus is what does that, not the waters of baptism. It washes away every sin. It makes the sinner clean. When you came to Jesus Christ, or today, he's inviting you. He's uh, uh, begging you to come to him, and he will save your soul. He will cleanse your life. It's a salvation that endures forever. I love that. He said, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. And so it's a salvation that not only does it endure forever, it can take the vilest sinner and transform them into the holiest of saints. Praise God. And then his return, he's promised his return. Oh, I see that wagon. Wow. Uh, Jesus over and over has promised he's coming back. Acts chapter 1, as he was ascending into heaven, the angels told him, why, why stand there gazing up into the heavens? That same Jesus will come back. John 14, 1, uh, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, I believe also in me, Jesus said. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. And he said, if I go, he's going to bring us to be where he's at. He said, I will come again. Promises of that. First Thessalonians chapter 4. What a wonderful passage. There, speaking of the rapture, where the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we, we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the air. And so we, we can claim those promises. Jesus Christ promised he's coming again. Our Savior died on the cross, rose again three days later. He ascended to heaven, and he promised, I'll be back. He left, left us with a, that wonderful promise that he would return and take us to be with him. Well, those are just a few of those uh, blessed wagons of glory that as we look at them, we could say with Jacob there, oh, that's enough. That's enough. That's enough for me. Well, I, I am out of time. We want to talk about uh, that, how this also we see uh, Jacob transform from a man of doubt to the man of faith. Remember God changed his name? What did he change his name to? Anybody remember? Israel. We see that. Did you see that change there? Look at verse 27. They told him all the words of Joseph which he had uh, said unto him. And when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. So the spirit of Jacob was the one that was doubting. The spirit of Jacob was his name of the flesh. But here's his spiritual name, and Israel. Just changed right there automatically. 
So he goes from being called Jacob to Israel because now he believes. Now it's it's and he says it is enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I wonder, friend, if you're here today and you understand, I know we haven't dealt with it in great detail, but if you're lost, I want to remind you there is no religion that's going to get you to heaven. Not your good deeds, your good works, not uh, church membership, not uh, baptism, nothing this world can offer you to save your soul. The only hope you have is Jesus Christ. And all I'm simply saying is you have to acknowledge, admit you're a sinner, ask Jesus Christ to come to your life, save you, forgive you of your sins, and he will give you everlasting life. If you want, want to know that more uh, and understand it better, I urge you, when we give the invitation in a few moments, come and trust Jesus today. And Christians, well, are we like Jacob? Are we continually doubting and, and, and thinking the worst? Oh, that was, you know, we're just negative. Isn't it easy to become negative in this world? I mean, it's all around us. And we're bombarded with negative things. But let's remember, through all of this, we're a child of the King of kings and Lord of lords. We're, we're, we're a child of the one who said, I will return. We, have, we can have hope in the most hopeless situation because Jesus is. Let him have his way. Friend, if you're not saved, let him have his way. Christian, don't doubt. Don't be so negative and, and uh, uh, just trust him. Trust the Lord today. Let's pray together.